Regenerative agriculture now can not only do that, but also draw down carbon and rebuild the soil. There's all sorts of things we can do by enhancing the nature of nature. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 123 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee, joined by my sister Lauren here today. Hello, everyone. And we're going to be bringing on a guest for you today. We have Jeffrey Smith. And oh my goodness, we just finished recording this episode and I thought I knew a lot about GMOs and (laughs) glyphosate and Roundup, but I learned so much from him today. He is just, oh my gosh, filled with so much amazing information. I mean, really good resources too. So if you want to take a deeper dive into any of these issues, we're going to link to all that in the show notes, but he really cracks open this topic of GMOs being very, very dangerous for our overall health. And so we get into, I would say like the scary side of things, what you really need to know. I think that'll kind of like put some fuel into you to get, uh, get going on making some changes, but he also gives practical tips of what we can be doing on a daily basis to protect ourselves and to protect future generations. He is so passionate about really protecting our kids, our grandkids, our great grandkids. I mean, we want this planet to be functioning optimally for a very long time, right? It's not just like what's happening in the next 50 years. He's really looking at long-term solutions. So please listen to the whole episode. It is seriously jam-packed with so much information all the way till the final minute. And we're just so grateful that Jeffrey came on the show today. He's amazing. Yeah. I think it's the perfect equation. It's what we need to hear, not just the educational side, but the action items. I think as consumers, sometimes we feel powerless. Like how can we actually make a change? Are the petitions that we're signing actually going somewhere? Are our dollars that are spent in the grocery store really going to the right cause? Can we trust our grocery stores and our food? And he really gives a lot of actionable items so we can actually make change, not just for us today, but for future generations. Because crazy, the the health effects that we're seeing down the line, maybe not today, maybe not in a year from now, but years, and then what our children are going to experience if we don't do something about it now. So wealth of knowledge in all caps. (laughs) Yes. So Jeffrey Smith, as a leading spokesperson on GMO health dangers, He authored two global bestsellers, directed five films, delivered 1,000 lectures and 1,000 interviews in 45 countries, trained 1,500 speakers, and organized over 10,000 grassroots advocates. Jeffrey was the architect of a successful plan to achieve the tipping point of consumer rejection of genetically engineered foods. His work has influenced the behavior and health of millions of people worldwide. He is now sounding the alarm about the grave, even irreversible hazards from new genetic engineering techniques, which can lead to health and environmental catastrophes. He leads the global Protect Nature Now Coalition, urging governments to stop the releases of all genetically engineered microbes. Jeffrey is so amazing. Again, we're so grateful he was on the show today, and I can't wait to bring him on. 
All right. Jeffrey Smith, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. I am so excited. Man, I have got so much information that we're going to have fun with. Awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are so excited for this episode. So everyone listening, we are going to do a deep dive into GMOs today. Jeffrey is an expert in this topic. He's doing amazing work, not only to help people attain better health, but you're also doing a lot to protect the environment. Uh, the GMO issue is major. And I think we need to be bringing this conversation up more and more. So we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. So yeah. let's kick off Definitely. with what I'm curious about. How did you first learn about the dangers of GMOs? It was 25 years ago. I went to a whistleblower presentation. He was a genetic engineer, award-winning by the NIH. And he said, they're planting genetically engineered seeds in Iowa. I was in Iowa at the time. And this stuff is not ready for prime time. It is dangerous. There is no way that any scientist on the planet can predictably genetically engineer anything and put it in the food supply without risking ill health or putting it in the environment without risking changes to the gene pool that cannot be predicted but cannot be recalled. So this was an A-plus priority because it could affect everyone who eats, all living beings, all future generations, and hardly anyone knew about it. As a background in communications, marketing, education, I figured I'd help out a little bit, you know, help them with the messaging. Well, two books, five movies, 45 countries, a thousand interviews later, training 1,500 speakers, organizing over 10,000 activists. I did contribute a little, and now a lot of people know about the dangers of GMOs. But we're also going to talk about the dangers of, of Roundup because the two are very close. We're all going to talk about the new GMOs, the GMO 2.0 and gene editing, which wasn't around 25 years ago. And that's like, whoa, that's, that's even greater risk right now. Yeah. So why don't we take a step back and just define what those things are? I think those are pretty common terms. Most people have heard them, but if you were to ask someone to define what it is, they would be like, oh, I don't know. So can you explain exactly what a GMO is and what's the difference between that and Roundup and, and so on? Sure. GMO, genetically modified organism, you basically change the DNA artificially. Uh, in the early days, they would use a gene gun and load it with genetic constructs, coating tungsten or gold, shoot thousands and thousands of pellets into uh, petri dishes with cells, then clone those cells. And it's order to create a new trait, or you use bacteria to smuggle in the gene. They still use these gene guns and that, but the concept is that they want to improve nature somehow. So they take genes from bacteria or viruses, put them into food crops. So the primary reason is to make crops round up ready not killable by Roundup, Monsanto's herbicide, Monsanto purchased by Bayer. So now you have crops that you can spray Roundup over the top of the field, kill all of the other plant biodiversity they call weeds. It doesn't kill the GMO because it's designed not to die, but it gets absorbed into the GMO. So now you have two toxins. You have the GMO and you have the Roundup, which individually and together can wreak havoc. Now, the most common result of genetic engineering is surprise side effects. This is common. It's common in the most recent GMOs, in the early GMOs. We're talking about hundreds or thousands of mutations up and down the DNA, possibly new levels of existing toxins or allergens, new toxins or allergens, and they do exist even in the commercialized varieties. 
And when you look at the evidence about both GMOs and Roundup, it becomes an absolute clear mandate to watch your diet and make changes. And we've tracked people who made those changes, and it's astounding. So is Roundup the same as glyphosate? Almost. Interchangeable? Roundup is a bunch of stuff, technical term, that includes the chief poison glyphosate. So glyphosate was originally patented as a descaler to clean boilers and pipes because it chelates. People think of chelation as great because it ushers out the heavy metals. In this case, this molecule, glyphosate, hugs all the metals, making them unavailable so it can create mineral deficiency. That's how it worked inside industrial boilers and pipes. It grabbed the mineral deposits and stripped them. So that's the main molecule, but in the context of the soup of Roundup, the toxicity is as much as 125 times more. And so we think we can talk about glyphosate and the studies done on that, or the more dangerous Roundup, which is what's actually used. Yeah, I would love to get into some of those studies. Um, I just wanted to share something real quick with you. Uh, I think maybe six or seven years ago when I first learned about glyphosate, I found a urine test. So you could test your levels. And I I remember I bought kits for the whole family, Lauren, mom, dad. I was like, we need to find out if eating organic is actually protecting us. And fortunately, I think all of our results came back pretty low. I mean, there was still some detectable amount, but that was like very eye-opening to me. So let's maybe jump into, if you have a study or two to share about glyphosate, eating organic. All right. So first of all, avoiding Roundup is... A challenge. It's easy just to switch to organic because organic does not allow you to use GMOs or Roundup in the production. Sometimes there's there's um, contamination, and I can explain in a moment how to find out where the higher levels of glyphosate contamination are if you can't always get organic. But glyphosate, there's more details on the dangers of glyphosate than GMOs because there's more research on it. We have both. There was a study done by Dr. Seralini in France. He took rats and fed them Roundup-ready corn that had been sprayed with Roundup. They had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. But he also had another group of rats that just ate the corn without the Roundup, and they had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So you think, aha, it's the corn. But wait, they also fed other rats just the Roundup without the corn, and they had multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So it's like both. It's like, you know, from the Saturday Night Live it's a it's a floor wax. It's a dessert topping. No, you're both right, ladies. The best dessert, best yeah. floor wax you've ever eaten. Is it the Roundup? Is it the is it the GMO? Yes, it is. So when you look at the nature of what Roundup slash glyphosate does to the body, it damages. And this is where I think your audience is going to go, oh, 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 and get bigger and bigger. All of the foundational aspects of health. First of all, we talked about minerals blocking minerals. Minerals are like the foreman that comes in and gets the rest of the workers to work. If the minerals aren't there, they're all on strike. The biochemical pathways just hang out waiting for that zinc or that cobalt or whatever. And if they're bound up in glyphosate, forget about it. Then it is also patented as a antibiotic. So when you have an antibiotic, it kills bacteria, but this is very specific. It kills beneficial bacteria. So when you look at a, at a human gut microbiome model and you feed it food for three weeks and then you add Roundup, 
it destroys the diversity. It destroys the beneficial, the lactobacillus, the bifidus. It allows the negative stuff to grow. And if you look at that, they are leading to disease. And I'll talk about that in a moment, which diseases. In addition, it creates leaky gut. You can do this on a Petri dish with a microscope. You just put human cells in there, put a little bit of glyphosate, and sure enough, they split apart. You can also look at a, a microscope at the cell, put a little glyphosate there, and the mitochondria collapses and gets destroyed. You can check the, the mutations in the DNA. This might not be from a microscope, but it causes mutations. It causes genotoxicity and oxidative stress. It also can block the production of serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine because of the shikimate pathway. We can talk about that. It also can block detoxification, cellular detoxification, liver detoxification, and kidney detoxification. And we can get specific with the NRF2 and the P450 cytochrome pathways. If we want to go geek, we can do that, but it's there. So you have all these different things plus hormones shifting the balance between testosterone and estrogen. We like our balance. We don't want someone to mess with that. And also birth defects. It can affect future generations, not only through genotoxicity, but epigenetic effects that can last. In fact, they injected glyphosate into mice and the, the offspring did okay. The grandchildren suffered. The great-grandchildren suffered the worst with 90% showing significant diseases often death in, in, at the time of birth, either from the child or the, the mother, major problems. And we can get into other details like damage to the lining of the digestion, suppressed digestive enzymes, but I think you get the point that it's linked to cancer, it's linked to basically all of the major chronic diseases because these are related to the microbiome, the mitochondria, the gut lining, the minerals, the hormones, and the neurotransmitters. Mm. I love that you talked about future generations because I think that is a common question, at least over the last five to 10 years in health coaching, I've heard, well, is it really worth it eating organic? Like I feel fine. My energy is good, but sometimes we're not seeing these longer term effects until much further down the road or until you have kids. And I think we have such a short term lens on that. We're not really tapping into what it's doing on the cellular level. And I think that perhaps, you know, big ag, big pharma is, is really capitalizing on this because we're not seeing those effects immediately. And we all want to believe that the government is protecting us and has our best interests, but what's really going on there? Like, why is there, there's so much propaganda against well, the dangers of GMOs? It's a very captured regulatory set of agencies. It is a captured set of lockdown on the real truth. We have caught Monsanto in the biotech industry covering up problems, lying. A lot of this came out during the Roundup trial. Things we had known about for 25 years were there in black and white because they had to turn over millions of their documents. How they tried to attack me was right in there and used in the in the lawsuit and read at the final, at the closing arguments because they were so blatantly trying to suppress evidence. So you had, you said isn't the government protecting us? Let's just dispel that right there, okay? <laughs> Two examples, FDA, okay? The person in charge of policy at the FDA for GMOs, Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney, later Monsanto's vice president, okay? Now, you could say, oh, well, maybe he was doing a good thing. You can look at 
the 44,000 secret internal memos that were made public because of a 1998 lawsuit. And in in those memos, you see they had asked a group of scientists at the FDA to weigh in on what the policy of GMOs should be like. And they said, well, GMOs could create allergens and toxins and new diseases and nutritional problems. We need to do in-depth tests for every single one, including human toxicological tests. And what does the policy say? The policy says, we know of no information showing that GMOs are significantly different, therefore no testing necessary, no labeling necessary. The FDA does not have to evaluate anything. If a company wants to have a voluntary consultation process, you can submit any data that you want, you can refuse our ask for follow-up, And at the end of this meaningless exercise, you'll get a letter reminding you that it's your responsibility to determine if these foods are generally recognized as safe. It's not the FDA's responsibility. That is the policy. Till today, it is based on fraud. Now, the EPA is no better. If you look at how they evaluated glyphosate, their person that led, that chaired the committee that said it doesn't cause cancer which is exactly the opposite of the World Health Organization's top committee on cancer, which says it's a probable human carcinogen. That person, Jess Rowland, was Monsanto's lapdog, working privately on behalf of Monsanto. We see it in the documents. And not only that, but others. Even the structure and the way that EPA evaluates chemicals, we mentioned earlier that glyphosate is, is can be 125 times more toxic when it's in the context of Roundup. They don't care about Roundup, what's actually used. They say, Monsanto, you send us the data. We don't do any research ourselves. You send us the data you want only on glyphosate. So Monsanto takes a form of glyphosate that's not even used, which is safer, and can manipulate its studies so that it looks healthier. For example, what came out in the Roundup trial. You're not allowed to have so much absorbed into the human skin. They took cadaver skin, put Roundup, and too much was absorbed. I think 10%, 3.3 times the allowable level. So they never sent that to the EPA. They did what's typical Monsanto, what I've been tracking for two decades. They took human skin and they baked it in an oven. Then they froze it. Then they applied Roundup. And lo and behold, hardly any absorption into this leather-like formerly known as human skin. And they sent that data to the EPA, never telling how they had baked and frozen the human skin. I mean, it is so blatant. I have pages and pages and pages of how they rig research, but this one is so visceral. It's so horrible and it's so Monsanto. Wow. So I want to believe it's just money that's behind it, but so then why this big push for saving the planet, you know, saving our food? They really make it sound like it's this victorious effort that they're doing good for us? Like, what, is it just money? Well, the concept that it's there to save the planet is pure PR. They originally just put it out for farmers' yields and weeding. And then when Europe rejected it, they decided to concoct, we're doing this for the developing countries. And they put out a big ad and then another ad appeared from 24 developing countries in Africa saying, don't use us as the excuse to put your dangerous food on on the market. I have interviewed some of the world's experts at feeding the world. They were participating in the big UN study, the ISTAD report, with over 450 scientists signed on by 59 countries. And that report concluded that GMOs have nothing to offer to feed the hungry world, eradicate poverty, or create sustainable agriculture. It is rejected by the world's experts. 
But starting in the late 1990s, the biotech industry pooled $50 million a year for a marketing campaign to convince Americans that GMOs were needed to feed the world so that they would create a sense of guilt that we have to risk our lives by eating this dangerous stuff because someday it may help someone who's starving. And it is, it is absolutely unscientifically supported. And we can, I mean, even GMOs do not increase average yield. And yield itself is not going to feed the starving world because we have more food per person than any time in human history. But right. even GMOs do not feed the hungry world. They, do, they cannot do it in the way that they're doing it. It works against agricultural developments. And agroecology, which is what the UN conference asked for, can do a 100% increase in yield and support the health of the environment and the farmer, et cetera, et cetera. Regenerative agriculture now can not only do that, but also draw down carbon and rebuild the soil. There's all sorts of things we can do by enhancing the nature of nature, letting the biology do the work. As a, See, the biotech industry looks at, at farming from a chemical approach, measures the chemicals, says we need more chemicals. And since they're using chemicals, let's make the plants receive more chemicals. If you look at it from the biological approach, everything is different. And if you support that, you don't need the chemicals. You don't need the fertilizers because there are microbes that do the heavy lifting if you know how to speak their language, but that would wipe out the use of the chemicals. And so that's not the paradigm that the big ag has taken. Crazy, sad, <laughs> upsetting. Sorry, I was <laughs> I was muted. I don't know if you can hear my cat's toy is going off. So I was like, I'm going to mute for a little bit. I can't get it to turn off. <laughs> the cats are freaking out too. You know, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's an equal opportunity freak out here. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. That, I mean, that's a, actually a really good topic. I mean, with animals, I've heard that even like pet food is contaminated. Petsandgmos.com, one of our websites. Okay, Great. so- I was talking to Dr. Barbara Royal, a veterinarian, she's Oprah's vet. And she said, when GMOs came into pet food, she noticed this traumatic tra change. All of a sudden, cancers were on the rise and allergies and itching. And she didn't know what it was going, was going on. She said some of these things which were now common, like dogs have the highest rate of cancer of any mammals, she hardly studied it in vet school because it was so rare. Same with allergies. So she started to give uh, the recommendation of change the diet, and she was astounded at the change. She said 80 to 90% of all of her patients are managed. Their problems are managed by the time they come back after they've changed their diet. 80 to 90%. So you can tell what's going on. I talked to a doctor, Michael Fox, who is, wrote the, um, the book, not the book, the, he wrote like 40 books, but the Animal Doctor column that was picked up by 25 to 30 million readers. When GMOs were introduced, he said all of a sudden he got a raft of letters. I can't, you know, just diarrhea and itching and all this. He sent back individual letters saying, get him off the GMOs. He said he has a file draw filled with letters saying it worked. Now, what happened with the animals and it's predictable, and you can go to see many, many veterinarians giving the same story at petsandgmos.com in our short films. The same thing happened with children. So Dr. Michelle Parrow, pediatrician, she saw a whole set of complex diseases and symptoms coming in early 2000, soon after GMOs were introduced, things she had never seen in her career. And then she was reading one of my books and went, ding, maybe it's the GMOs in Roundup, started to experiment. She wrote her own book, What's Making Our Children Sick? GMOs and Roundup. And she takes 
a family, let's say a family has an autistic boy, puts the family on an organic diet, the boy gets better along with whatever treatment, but everyone else gets better. The daughter's ADHD goes away, the, the kidney disease in the father's gets helped, the mother loses weight, everyone loses weight, and it shows what's happening. So in the film Secret Ingredients, which I did with Amy Hart, we look at families and individuals that switch to organic, and it's astounding. Kids who are on the spectrum, no longer on the spectrum. There's one chiropractic clinic where they take a lot of infertile couples, put them on organic diet, 100% success rate, all of them have kids. The people who had digestive problems and brain fog and skin conditions and cancer, all of these things. And in addition to their stories, we have the doctor saying, these aren't one-offs, these happen in our practices every day. And then we have the scientists showing with the animation what's actually happening in the body. And you can track a specific disease back to a particular mode of action of GMOs around it. But we also have more than 30 slides, and this is something that I present normally when I'm presenting to a, to a group, of diseases. You can look at the rate of diseases, and then you look at the amount of GMOs, soy and corn planted, or the amount of Roundup sprayed, and that parallel increase is stunning. Now that's correlation, doesn't prove causation, but there's so much other data showing that it's probably causation, including 3,256 people who responded to a survey. What did you notice when you got better? What, what, what did you notice when you switched to non-GMO and largely organic? They got better from 28 different conditions. And I had asked that same question at 150 lectures, including many medical conferences, and it was the same frequency. Digestive disorders were off the charts, 85% said they had an improvement in digestion. Then fatigue, then weight problems, then brain fog, then allergies and, and depression, then food sensitivities and allergies, and we're still above 50% reporting improvements. So, and these correlate with the charts showing these diseases. These correlate with what we're seeing in the animal feeding studies. These correlate with what we see in the changes of pets and farm animals when they switch to non-GMO, what they get better from. And these are explained by the modes of action, some of which we talked about earlier, the leaky gut, the, the minerals, etc. So it's like a smoking shotgun saying, if you're interested in health, if you're interested in energy, if you're interested in mood and sleep and all this, the first thing you got to do is switch to organic and then everything else will work better. I was going to say, it's not surprising that you're seeing all of these health issues arise. If it is impacting you at the cellular level, the mitochondria, leaky gut, liver detoxification. I mean, if, if all of the basic things aren't working, it's going to show up somewhere in the body. So I'm not really surprised. Curious, what year was it officially introduced? Like what, what's the bottom of that curve you were just talking about? Well, it was around since the seventies, but it, when GMOs, okay, so when Roundup Ready came out, it was 96. That's when it starts to, to take off. So the small amount of Roundup that was used in the food supply is, is, is more the baseline. Now, 2006 or so, Monsanto started to explain to farmers who were grain farmers and bean farmers, you can spray Roundup just before harvest on your non-GMO. Yes, you'll kill them, but you'll dry them down. What it'll do is it'll kill the weeds for next year. It'll dry, take the moisture out of your plants by drying it down. It'll force quick ripening. You know, it's like, we're going to die. Give all the energy to the kids. So it forces the, the, the seeds to grow. So it's used three to five days before harvest. So 
you end up with high amounts of glyphosate residues in oats and wheat and lentils and garbanzo beans, no more hummus, no more oatmeal, unless it is organic. So if you go to, to responsibletechnology.org, responsibletechnology.org, you'll find a report of the levels of glyphosate based on tests done by our institute and others. We compile them all, you can, put in, you can sort them, find what you're looking for, both in raw ingredients and in some cases, the brand names. And you'll realize that if you can't eat organic and you're traveling and you normally have that bowl of oatmeal, Maybe you don't want that bowl of oatmeal heavily with heavily sprayed with glyphosate, or maybe you want to avoid that hummus dip unless you know that it's organic, or the lentils, or the or the mung beans and whatnot. I mean, it's it, you can't make it zero in your life because it's in the rain, it's in the air. There's 300 million pounds of it sprayed every year in the United States alone, but you can minimize it, and it may still work at tiny levels, but it's going to be a lot less. Hey, biohackers, we have a brief interruption in today's episode to tell you about one of our favorite ways to buy some of our favorite organic non-GMO grocery staples. The website is Thrive Market, and we get so many of our favorite products from the site. Some of the things I really like to buy are the organic olive oil and avocado oil, other food items, everything from that to like, I get my laundry detergent, my body wash, even my Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee. I get everything in one place. And it's just so convenient that within like a day or two, it shows up at my front door. And I know it's all really good quality stuff and it's all discounted. So it's really good prices on all of my favorite things. Uh, Lauren, what are some of your favorite products that you get from Thrive Market? Everything that they sell, everything. There's so many fun things. I think this place is like Disneyland. I used to go to Whole Foods just because I thought the store was so pretty and I walk around and I buy things I didn't need. And now a Thrive Market, well, one, you get a 30%, up to a 30% discount. So the prices are way more friendly, but just really cool stuff like paleo and keto coffee creamers. You can basically buy almost the entire primal kitchen line, sauces, dressings, mayos, which are incredible if you haven't tried them. Things like jerky, I'll stock my cabinet with grain-free crackers or chips so other things don't end up in the cabinet, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they also have tons of beauty products, so they're all EWG certified. So if you go to that website to check your beauty products, you could head over to Thrive to actually purchase them. And they are just always adding new companies, new products. There's always a new weekly discount and you always get freebies in your cart. So if you want to try something, if you're not familiar with the company, add a freebie, try it out. Best part, now they have organic, sustainable meat and seafood and clean wine. So it has really grown from just a pantry staple to a full grocery lifestyle experience. Yeah, it's so perfect for today's world too. We can get it all online. And I love that the company is always researching new products and they have a very high standard of what they allow to be sold on the website. So we're big fans. So if you want to check it out, check out the show notes for today. We will put the Thrive Market link in there and that link will automatically give you 25% off your first order. And that is on top of the regular discount. So if you want to try a bunch of things, head over, fill up that shopping cart, and you'll get it in the next couple of days. High quality at a discount. What is not to love? Head over to the Thrive Market. Yeah, interesting. That was going to be my next question. Is going organic with your food enough because it is in our air and water? Like, What other changes can we make in addition to switching to non-GMO? That's been the second most common question I've had in 25 years. First one is how do we avoid it? And then what else can we do? 
So for years, I would say it's above my pay grade. I'm not a health person. I'm not a pet practitioner. I'm not a scientist. And I'm not qualified to answer the question, but I'm more than qualified to ask the questions. And so I had a summit, Healing from GMOs and Roundup, and I brought in Dietrich Klinghardt and Lee Cowden and Joe Mercola and Zach Bush and Kieran Krishnan and Tom O'Brien and yeah, I mean, really great, great people. Amazing. I, said, oh. I just got tingles. I was like, yes, I was like, yes, I love all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, yeah. it's like yeah, there's, there's a soundtrack behind their names. Uh, <laughs> yep, yes, totally. <laughs> so, um, if you go to um, livehealthybewell.com, which is my podcast, you can see the movie Secret Ingredients. You can do the 90-day lifestyle upgrade, which helps you immediately learn how to eat an organic lifestyle quicker and cheaper. And then there's the healing from GMOs and Roundup. So that's like, you know, take control. So they have all sorts of things. And I, again, I can't say, well, let's pick a little bit of what Joe Mercola says about his um, particular supplements and what Lee Cowden says about, you know, detoxification sauna and what uh, Dietrich Klingshart says about the microbes in the brain. I just say, look at them and choose for yourself. I mean, there's, I don't have, I, I can't try to put it all together. That's not my role. I can say, here's the best that we have in the world so far. Take a look and see what you got. Now, Dietrich said one thing to me, which I hadn't heard before until last week. He said, when he, you mentioned about checking glyphosate in the urine, Renee, and so he actually does that with his patients. And he said, the sickest ones, the autistic kids, no glyphosate in the urine until he starts the glyphosate detox. Then it comes out. Mm. I was talking to someone last week wow. and they said the same thing, that they found that the glyphosate did not appear until the detox started. So the people who are really, really suffering may not be able to release the glyphosate. Now we so talk about storing autism. it somewhere in the body. So when we talk about autism, that reminds me of Dr. Stephanie Seneff. She's a senior researcher at MIT. She's an expert at bringing down uh, big data and analyzing patterns, looking for causation. And she was trying to solve the problem of autism. What's causing this autism explosion? So she pulled down all the data on autism. She has a degree in biology and also in these computational ways of dealing with it, computers. And she said, she could she said at the time, she could tell you based on the changes in the physiology, why the symptoms occurred. She knew exactly what was happening, but she couldn't tell what the uh, environmental insult was that caused it. So she pulled down all the data of all the chemicals she had heard of and nothing fit. Then she went to a lecture from a friend of mine, Dr. Uh, Don Huber, professor emeritus from Purdue, and he talked all about glyphosate. Stephanie said to me, she sat on the edge of her chair because everything he said fit hand in glove. She went home, pulled down all the data of glyphosate and was convinced it was the cause. Then she and Dr. Nancy Swanson pulled the data on glyphosate prevalence, pulled the data on use of, of Roundup and charted it. And the slope is nearly perfect. A perfect mm -hmm. slope would be one, this was 0.9975, and showing the level of correlation. And since then, materials came out from the peer-reviewed studies showing that high rates of autism accompany high spray of Roundup. And there's so many reasons. And in the two of my five films, we have parents of autistic kids reporting that either the kids are no longer on the spectrum or they improve dramatically when they switch to organic food. So whether, I, I can't say this is proven, 
but don't wait. <laughs> don't wait. Yeah. No matter what you have, what you have going, whether it's brain fog or overweight or memory issues, or did I say memory issues? Whatever it is, just get that organic diet and then take notes and look at your memory and your and your energy level and all of your symptoms one to ten. Because you may be doing it for energy, but realize your eczema has cleared up. And if you're not paying attention, you'll never realize it. So in the film Secret Ingredients, these doctors say what's really cool is when the, the symptoms go away and the conditions go away when they switch their diet and then they cheat and it comes back. That becomes the proof they need to stick with it. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting what you were saying about the correlation with kids being on the spectrum because... I think Lauren and I have really seen it. Like I, she's born in 1984, I'm born in 1986. And it was like one in a thousand kids, you know, was on the spectrum. And now today, I don't know what the latest statistic is. I think I've heard like one in 45 kids or something. It's maybe worse like that, today. Yeah. But I've also worked with a lot of families where the moms were so sure that the vaccine caused an issue. And this is just kind of what's going through my head right now is, if the glyphosate roundup, whatever has shut down these detox pathways, and then a kid is exposed to whatever toxins in a vaccine, like mercury, et cetera, they probably can't detox it anymore. So it's an interesting thing because I talk about glyphosate as kind of the king of toxins because of the shutdown of detox. NRF2 pathway releases um, toxicity from the cells. And some friends of mine tested NRF2 uh, with glyphosate, and it dropped substantially. And then also the, the liver is the major detoxing organ, and that uses these CYP enzymes from the P450 cytochrome pathway, and that gets damaged from glyphosate. In fact, the, the liver gets so damaged that in rats, in parts per trillion of glyphosate in their, in their drinking water, they got non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is about 30% of the U.S. population. It is an incredible epidemic. If you look at those with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, they have glyphosate in their urine at fairly high concentrations. The ones that have the most serious version of it have higher levels of glyphosate. So we think that whole thing, which can lead to cirrhosis and cancer and all that, is glyphosate-related. We have the most causal definitive studies or in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease of all the hundreds of studies done on glyphosate. So you, you block the ability to detox through the liver. It also can damage the kidneys, which is another detoxifier. So you have a situation, and then also damages the mitochondria, I mean, not the mitochondria, the, the microbiome, which is also a detoxifier. So you have three major detoxifiers, which are problematic. Now, glyphosate, you mentioned vaccines. It's not my area, so I don't speak outside my lane. But glyphosate's in my lane, and glyphosate is in the vaccines. Yeah, it's contaminated. I did not know that. Mind wow. blown right now. I'm not yeah. talking about the current raft of vaccines. We're talking about the the, the ones that are in the schedule, mm -hmm, not the gotcha. ones being used right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm just like yeah, speechless now. <laughs> we just have an onslaught of toxins in every way that we look. So it, this is just compounding and making our lives so much harder. I mean. I hear so often when I'm looking at lab tests, the argument is, oh, my liver's fine because I don't drink a lot. I'm like, do you realize the liver just Poor has liver. such a huge responsibility? So, you know, just switching to non-GMO foods is the step. It is the step in the right it's direction. It's kind of like the first step. I mean, the thing is this, 
you know that you're that in your listeners there's some that are suffering some from something substantial and there's some that feel it feel great it's like taking the body up a whole nother level when you don't have to have those toxic insults and the shutdown of the biochemical pathways and whatnot and at the end of a plot spoiler secret ingredients movie so all right i'm going to tell you so there's this one family uh kathleen dkr she's an amazing person just absolutely uh, brilliant and she had her family of five had 21 chronic conditions right and so she had to lose she lost her job she was paralyzed had all these different conditions her older son had was on the spectrum middle son had constipation and bloating and mood issues her younger son had eczema all over his body husband had a breast tumor anyway she decided to think maybe it is the food so she started studying total type a studying nutrition read 1700 you know articles did 800 hours of interviews all i mean just incredible amounts of focus has degrees now in it and she started experimenting on her family and so she removed gluten and this and this and this and they started getting better but they were still managing 21 chronic conditions then she learned about gmos and roundup put them on organic and they all went away lost the 21 and it, it took like three weeks for the ones that were most visible, like maybe the eczema, then three months, and then six months, they were basically free of it after years of suffering. So the older, and she said, the her oldest boy, who's beautiful, you got to see this film, like emerged, like he was there underneath the ability, unable to speak, unable to hold eye contact. And as soon as this burden was lifted, he emerged as this beautiful boy who's getting straight A's, who has friends, who doesn't need all these therapies anymore. and But having the constant onslaught, even after removing the gluten and after removing this, the still he was, he was affected by these chemicals and the GMOs. And it was interesting that every member of the family had a different set of symptoms that got better. So you end up, remember, all the things that glyphosate does. We haven't talked about all the things that GMOs do. And they're like another list. Some of them is overlapping. So when it assaults the body in these foundational ways, the weakest part becomes expressed as the symptom. So, you know, will it particularly affect your parents' uh, Alzheimer's or your tendency to, you know, for brain fog? We don't know. But certainly, if you're dealing with any chronic conditions, you don't want to have this burden there at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we're all biochemically individual, and you know, you could have expression of a totally different thing depending on the environment that you put in. So, you mentioned the shikimate pathway earlier. We haven't really uh, gone into that on the podcast before, and I would love for our audience to understand okay. this. I mean, we're dealing with a mental health epidemic. So many people have gut issues. So we know that glyphosate and GMOs are shutting down this pathway. Can you explain why that is extremely detrimental? Yeah, yeah, it's good question. You know, hardly anyone ever asks me about the shikimate pathway. Good on you. It's like all it's right, such a great word. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I feel like you're just enjoying saying it, both of you. Shikimate, oh, shikimate. <laughs> saying shikimate. Why I want to make a jingle out of it. <laughs> <laughs> a um, jingle. <laughs> all right. So Great. Monsanto was bragging that Roundup was safe for humans because it was designed to shut down the shikimate pathway in plants, and human humans don't have shikimate pathways. Therefore, you could drink Roundup. Don't. It can kill you. Don't drink it. But they claimed that it was drinkable, safer than table salt. All a lie. 
They just settled for $39 million a lawsuit saying, you guys knew that you were lying. Because yes, the physical body doesn't have the shikimate pathway, but our gut bacteria uses it, and it's pretty important. Because the gut bacteria uses the shikimate pathway to produce tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. These are what are called essential amino acids because we don't produce them inside our bodies. We have a relationship with the microbiome and we've outsourced it. So they're under contract to produce these things. And along comes glyphosate and blocks it. So now, why is that important? Well, tyrosine and tryptophan, they are the precursors to serotonin and dopamine. Serotonin then becomes melatonin. So if you don't have enough of these precursors, then your neurotransmitters, which are the happy chemicals, become, they suffer. Most of the serotonin is produced in the gut. I'm told 90%. So now if you don't have enough serotonin, that could theoretically cause anxiety, maybe ADHD, maybe sleep problems. I mentioned the 30 different diseases that you could look at that are rising in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup. Anxiety, ADHD, autism, suicide by overdose, sleep disorders, insomnia in particular, and then dopamine, some of those as well, as well as Parkinson's going up, deaths by Parkinson's. And these are also related to what people report getting better from when they switch to a non-GMO and organic diet. And I was talking to Zach Bush about this and on an interview, and he said, you know, the shikimate pathway is not just these things. It produces the body's medicine cabinet of all these different things that help the brain and help the body fight disease. They all come from the shikimate pathway. And I was just reading about that last week from another source. So it's actually, it's actually devastating to block the shikimate pathway. You know, when I talk about blocking the, the microbiome, I'll just take it one, one step further. I was talking to Kieran Krishnan, who's one of the world's experts at the microbiome, and he said, we outsource 90% of the metabolic pathways. 90%. And he said, in the second trimester of birth, milk digesting bacteria go into the birth canal to inoculate the baby so that the baby can digest the milk. It gets more interesting. Michelle Perrault, pediatrician, says a substantial portion of the breast milk is undigestible by the baby. It's not for the baby. It's for the microbes. It also, there's also microbes that inoculate the baby through the breast milk, through the skin on the nipple. And then it gets even more interesting when the baby has certain needs, its health imprint is in the microbes in its saliva, which feed back through the breast, which change the formula. It is an incredible orchestration, a dance. If there's a breast tumor, bacteria come to protect in the breast. If there's, if there's Alzheimer's, fungus comes up into the brain to protect. If the, according to Dietrich Klungart, when you reduce the microbiome of the brain, your IQ goes down. What's going on? The, the micro Jedi army that is unseen is in our bodies working on our behalf that we co-evolved with. And it's the same in soil. It's the same in the atmosphere. It's the same on leaves. It's everywhere. And we are now in a situation where we're not only destroying it with an antibiotic sprayed all over the world, even in the atmosphere, Roundup, but there's even a greater danger because we can grow it back and you know inoculate it and, and whatnot. But the greater danger is 
to change the nature of nature by introducing genetically engineered microbes. You introduce a microbe and it can spread around the world. We didn't need a pandemic to know that. We didn't need a pandemic to know that it can mutate. So now you've genetically engineered it to do one thing, and now it's doing that thing in ecosystems you never intended, possibly mutated. But I mentioned earlier that the most common result of genetic engineering is surprise side effects. So you intend to do one thing, and you've done 10 other things. So now you're unreleasing, un unleashing a microbe. It spreads around the world. It's doing things in other ecosystems, including, including possibly the human body. But it gets worse because microbes go to swap meets, and they exchange genetic material. So now what you created in your lab, possibly for your high school science class, or because you're trying to remediate soil as a corporation, now that genetic change is in a thousand different types of microbes, in 10,000 different ecosystems, in 100,000 different biochemical pathways, influencing human health, animal health, etc. Now, if we take a look at what can one bad actor do, if you go to protectnaturenow.com, and, and I recommend protectnaturenow.com. You can see my last film, which is also the shortest, 16 minutes, don't let the gene out of the bottle. We talk about one microbe which was planned to be released, which could have ended terrestrial plant life, theoretically. Ended terrestrial plant life, doing what it was designed to do. Another one could have changed weather patterns, doing what it was designed to do. When you now think that we can genetically engineer microbes for the price of dinner, you buy a biohacking lab to do CRISPR, one or $2,000. You say, okay, let's create some microbes. Let's name them after my best friends and take them for a walk or flush them down the toilet. Now you've done an environmental release. Multiply that around the world. You can buy a do-it-yourself kit for $169 on Amazon. Those are gonna get more powerful. Those are gonna get more, more less expensive. Now you have the potential for a million new microbes in this generation, a million new microbes. Then they can mutate and swap genes and travel, and now we're taking that beautiful orchestrated co-evolved balance where the right microbes are given to the birth canal and given to solve this problem, et cetera, and we're tweaking it without having any understanding of what the consequences are, no ability to recall, no ability to track, and it can be inherited by all future generations. So this is an existential threat. So I know you asked about the shikimate pathway, I'm way beyond. I'm leaving that in the <laughs> dust. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's so, so important. We've forgotten yeah. about the innate intelligence of nature, and we think that we can outsmart it, but it is impossible. Nature will always win. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, now that gene editing is so cheap and easy, which creates GMOs, and again, full of side effects that are unpredictable, we have this new existential threat. We have arrived at the time of human civilization where we can easily redirect the streams of evolution for all time. One elder, indigenous elder, warned a friend of mine in 1991 or so that around this time we would face a, th a threat of ending biological evolution as we know it. I think he was talking to this because we're at a pivotal time where the decisions we make will determine whether we replace nature or support it because we have the ability mm -hmm. to replace it easily. So yeah. we started, I mean, for 25 years, I was focused on the health dangers of GMOs, two books, et cetera, four movies. And now I'm focused on creating a new global movement to protect the microbiome from release of genetically engineered microbes. 
so that they're not released outdoors. And while we're at it, there's something we shouldn't do indoors either, and that's enhance potentially pandemic pathogens through gain of function because we don't want to test nature, you know, tempt fate because there's been over a thousand accidents at high biosecurity labs. And so why create an airborne version of H5N1 that kills 52% of people who are infected, but hardly anyone gets infected because it's really hard. But why create an airborne version, scientists, that could create a devastating reduction of the human population? So we're looking at implementing the lessons of the pandemic indoors, but also we don't want environmental pandemics outdoors. So if you go to protectnaturenow.com, watch the film, click on the take action so you can get your message out to all of your elected officials, your local media, go to the, the donate tab and do a, a monthly donation so we can take care of this right now. I, I, I did 25 years on the first movement. I don't have 20. We don't have 25 years. We have a little time. And yeah. the good news is we're, 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 get, we're having traction. There's a lot of interest in what we're doing. Amazing. Yeah, well, I was just about to ask you, so what else can we do? Okay, so we'll share that link in the show notes so everyone can go and check that out. We all need to be buying organic, buying non-GMO. Um, I have another question for you. I know you're good friends with Zach Bush. His product, Ion Gut Health, I've read that it can protect the gut from glyphosate. Is there right, any so, information on that? So yeah, he um, last I checked, and he's always doing research. So he had this Petri dish of human epithelial cells, which are the kind of cells that lie in the gut. And he put in glyphosate and they separated. And he put in ion biome and they came back. Those are the tight junctions. He then put it also put in glyphosate before, I mean, put in the ion biome before putting in the glyphosate and it didn't, it didn't break apart. So protecting the gut wall integrity. He, put, he took a look at the cells with uh, mitochondria, put glyphosate, the uh, structure fell down, put in the ion biome first, structure didn't fall. So it protected the micro, the, the um, mitochondria. He checked the, the urine levels. I think it was a 22% reduction in glyphosate levels in the urine. And in my interviews with him, he goes into great detail of why this might be doing what it's doing in terms of increasing the intelligence uh, between cells and whatnot. There's uh, the broccolite people that have done similar studies with the NRF2 and gap junctions, which are different than the tight junctions. You know, in the Healing from GMOs and Roundup and the series I've done since, I'll find particular products that work specifically with glyphosate um, for detoxification or rebuilding, but they're also generally helpful. So, so whether you're working with glyphosate or just wanting to detox, rebuild, or repair, these are important. So... I think he's got some good, Zach's got a good product, I think. And, and the person that helped verify his product is also formulating others and I'm interviewing them, et cetera. Great. I love ION. Sure. It's, it's the acronym is intelligence of nature, I believe, or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Very cool. That. Very cool. I have one more question for you. Dirty dozen. Uh, yay, or, yay or nay? It's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's okay. It's halfway there. Yeah. So the biotech industry, we talked about, I don't know, years earlier in this call, um, we talked about how they've captured the regulatory agencies. And what they did is they convinced the FDA not to test for levels of glyphosate in food. They test for all of the other pesticides, but, oh, glyphosate is so safe, we don't need to do any tests. So the, the EWG, Environmental Working Group, 
looks at U.S. government data for for levels of pesticides and turns that into the dirty dozen of the clean 15. So it's basically U.S. government data, but it doesn't include glyphosate. And they only look at fruits and vegetables. They also have avoided the GMO information for years. So in their clean 15 was papaya, which can be genetically engineered if grown in Hawaii or China, and corn. So now they have an asterisk next to the papaya and the corn that it may be genetically engineered, in which case it's like, don't eat, in my mind. And they don't have in their dirty dozen or in their clean 15 any data about what might contain a large amount of glyphosate. So the corn, you know, the corn may have glyphosate on it because it can be sprayed as a, as a desiccant, et cetera. So what I would say is it's okay, but go to responsibletechnology.org, learn the 12 crops that are genetically engineered, get the report about where the glyphosate levels are, and buy organic in any case. In most cases, if something is organic, it is rare that it has a high spike for glyphosate. I know of one in our list, and I think they've probably cleaned it up by now, because sometimes there's fraud and sometimes there's accidental contamination. But you may wonder, well, why is it that there's you know, organic wines that have a low level of glyphosate? That's because it's in the rain and it's in the water, and it can leach out and spray from other, other properties. So we do our best. And like David Perlmutter said in, in the film Secret Ingredients, we, we can't get to zero. We just do our best. And I want to add, if you end up with some glyphosate and you end up with some GMOs, don't worry about it. Because worrying is toxic and the GMOs and glyphosate are toxic. Now you have three toxins to deal with. So yes. don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stress That's really is yeah. great advice. <laughs> Stress is the biggest, biggest toxin for sure. Sorry. I, I said that was my last question, but I'm going to add one more to that. Organic labeling. What if it is from South America, Mexico coming in? Is that still safe? Yeah. There is, there is some organic fraud coming from outside the country. There's some organic fraud inside the country. It's not the, the norm. Mm-hmm. It's low levels generally, but it's there. So no one has come up with a reliable percentage of, or even naming which country has the fraud. There's not money in testing. In fact, one of the issues with organic is it doesn't require testing. It's a process-based certification. Mm-hmm. You submit your documentation. There's a yearly inspection. Now, the non-GMO project does require testing if your product has at-risk ingredients. So if you use soy or corn or cotton, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa, these are all at-risk crops, then you have to submit to a specific sampling testing regimen, and you'd have to be below 0.9% on a regular basis. So if you see organic and non-GMO project verified on the same product, it's actually better than just organic. If you had to choose between the two, I would say organic because you can have a non-GMO project verified bowl of oatmeal. Oats are not GMO. It's 100% non-GMO. And it could be doused with Roundup. Same with a loaf of bread. Because wheat is not genetically engineered, but it can be doused with Roundup. So Mm. organic would be better than non-GMO project verified. If you can't get organic, at least get non-GMO and learn at responsibletechnology.org what other things you want to avoid. From the GMO side, soy, corn, cotton, canola, 
sugar beets, alfalfa, zucchini, yellow squash, Hawaiian papaya, pink pineapple, apples and potatoes that are engineered not to turn brown when sliced. Those are the 12. Then you have salmon coming on board soon, and you have animal feed. Animal feed, so unless it's non-GMO project verified animal products or organic or grass-fed 100% with no genetically engineered alfalfa, then basically if you're eating milk or meat or eggs, you're probably eating with, you know, food that's been, the animal's been fed the GMOs. Some people are sensitive to that. Some people have reactions. Even if they don't know that the product, the meat product has been fed, they think it's organic and they eat it. I've heard these stories. And then they have to go to the hospital or they have to recover for days. They're very sensitive. And the, the food that the animal eats is affecting them. According to their own reports, it's certainly not the norm for that level of sensitivity. And the scientists at the FDA from the Center for Veterinary Sciences said, yes, milk and meat from animals fed GMOs carry unique risks. They can bioaccumulate toxins so that a bite of the animal is far more toxins than the bite that the animal eats. So that's there. And then finally, from the labeling side, if it says organic on the front, then it's not allowed to contain GMOs. It can say 100% organic, it can say organic, or it could say made with organic ingredients. So 100% means that, organic means 95% minimum, made with organic ingredients is 70% minimum, but the remaining percentage has to be non-GMO. The fourth way that you can find a label on a product is in the ingredient panel. It doesn't say organic on the front, but the ingredient panel says organic soybeans. But it can also say canola. The fact that it says organic soybeans does not mean that the canola is non-GMO. If it says made with organic soybeans on the front and it has canola on the ingredient panel, that canola is non-GMO. So if the organic is on the front, bragging and boasting, either 100% organic or made with organic ingredients, everything is not allowed to be non-GMO. If it's just organic on the ingredient panel, it's just that particular ingredient. It doesn't tell you anything about anything else. Wow. So helpful and so important, but shopping is just so tricky these days. I, I am a huge advocate for voting with our dollars, and I wish that Whole Foods was still that kind of place where you could vote with your dollars for food, but they're so into this non-GMO labeling, but then everything has canola oil in it. I, know. I was trying to buy Brazil nuts yesterday and I could not find just plain Brazil nuts without vegetable oil. They're, yeah, so, they're being so sneaky by putting non-GMO on it and people don't know better. Yeah, when you go out to eat, for example, um, like I always call ahead and say, what oil do you cook your food in? And if they say canola or they'll say vegetable, thinking it's from vegetables. Vegetable oil, in the United States means soybeans. So um, I'd say, well, do you have... 100% um, organic, I mean, or 100% olive oil for me, or can you cook mine in a grill? Because I don't eat the GMO oils. I tell them that it's GMOs because I'm always teaching, but I don't, you know, raise mm-hmm. a fuss. And so it's, if you're, you know, a purist like me when going out, it means that there's some restaurants I can't go to, you know, yeah. some Chinese and Mexican and whatnot, where everything is cooked with soybean oil. If you go to Canada, everything is cooked with canola oil. And when I go to Whole, when I used to go to Whole Foods when I was traveling six to nine months a year for 13 years straight and I could you know, navigate where to eat, 
I would have them bring their canola oil out from the back to see if it was non-GMO or not. And these days, probably all or nearly all is non-GMO because it's, but they'll also, you know, have, have vendors that are creating stuff for their kitchen. So it may say soybean produced off-site. So that you can't, and the thing is, when you look at their hot food, it's rarely organic. The only yeah. organic is, is a ginger carrot soup. That's, right. you, know, you know, it's too hot for me. And, but um, <laughs> their, their salad bars organic, but their hot stuff is not. But if, but if they cook it in-house and I'm willing to eat it because there's nothing else and I've already sorted out that it doesn't contain at-risk GMOs or the high concentration of, of the glyphosate, I'll find out if they cooked it and what they'll say. Ta- instead of ta- taking out the five gallons, say, take a picture of your canola, please, and bring it to me and show me because everyone's got a phone. And then I'll teach them about it because they don't usually know. So yeah. But I haven't been eating mostly at Whole Foods for a long time. I live in California. There's plenty of other choices that are organic, and I tend to go there. Mm. Yeah, you have lots of options. You're really oh, lucky yeah. for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Not so much here in Vegas, but... Although wow. I can tell you where to, where to go in Vegas afterwards when we stop. <laughs> oh, please, give me the full yes. list. Mexican yes. food in Vegas. We'll talk about it. Awesome. Oh. All right. All right. Stay okay. tuned. <laughs> we may have to share some off-air education. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for educating our audience today. This has been so helpful, so powerful. Before we let you go, we'd like to ask for one final piece of advice, something that our audience can start doing today to optimize their health. I'm going to, well, we've talked about organic, so I'm going to go, I'm going to stretch it. I'm going to say, go to to Protect Nature Now, watch the film, go to the activist page and do whatever, because we change each month what what the, the campaign is, and make a donation. On a regular basis, pick a number, $5, whatever it is, so that we know it's coming each month so we can hire that person and invest in the, in the assets and open up offices around the world. You see, we have to give voice to those kingdoms which have been helping us but can't speak to us directly. You know, and the, the issue is, I painted a rather bleak picture, uh, picture of the fact that a microbe can end terrestrial plant life on earth and you'll see that in the film but i didn't say how deeply successful we think we're going to be in locking down genetically engineered microbes so we're aligning with different movements i was just in dc with two world leaders in regenerative agriculture we spoke with offices in congress we gave a live stream at the national press club now we're being asked for all this data and information and support around the world from that Why regenerative agriculture? Because the microbes in the soil do the heavy lifting. They draw down the carbon sufficient to literally draw down 100% of all all carbon emissions per year. They create more nutrients in the soil. They reduce the need for chemicals. They build up the soil, and we have only 55 years left of soil if we don't switch. So we get to solve three existential crises at the same time. The, The carbon in the atmosphere, the loss of the soil and protecting the microbes so that regenerative agriculture does its work. So that's just one of the ways that we are getting new laws made because I sort of water ski behind the regenerative agriculture movement and say, and if you want to ensure 
that it actually works, you'll want to protect the microbiome. And now I get to water ski behind the health movement about the gut microbiome and invasive species and even defense industry. Like you don't really want people with biohacking kits making things up that can be released and then by the behind the oceans committee. You know, we, the microbes do a heavy lifting all over and we are very, very strategic. We can't build a movement from scratch. We have to latch on to other movements and they get it. With 50,000 research studies done on the microbiome in the humans alone in the last five years, it's now being recognized as a major source of health. And when you think about protecting it, we have a lot of people ready to come to its aid. So I'm asking people, for our health, invest in a the nature of nature. Invest in preserving and safeguarding biological evolution as it's been so that future generations, our generation and future generations can enjoy nature and not replace it. So it's a long-term fix, but it's something that has to be handled immediately. Yeah, the time is now to get on this. It's pretty frightening what you said about 55 years of soil, potentially. So, well, thank you for sharing that. We are going to link to all of that. We are big supporters and just can't thank you enough for everything that you're doing and for spending the last... I apologize more than an hour with us. We could just keep you here all day, but thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. It tends to go a little long when we start getting into the details. And I love the fact that your audience is so educated and not fearful of using terms like the shikimate pathway and microbiomes. I mean, when you guys talk about biohacking, it's like, okay, I can talk to these people with details. So I love that. Thank you for having me on. And I, I wish... I wish everyone safe eating. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. It was so awesome. Uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.